1: Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. As always, we are here with another exciting topic and guest. Today we will be discussing the outlook for localization industry this year and to speak about this topic, I have invited Florian Faiz, who is on top of all trends and developments in the language services sector. Florian is the managing director of Slater and host of the Slater Pod Podcast. Based in Zurich, Switzerland, Florian Faiz spent almost a decade in Asia before launching Slater in 2015. Slater is the leading source of news and research for the global translation, localization and language technology industry. Slater's advisory practice is a trusted partner to clients looking for independent analysis. Headquartered in Xerox, Slater has a presence in Asia, Europe, and the United States. Florian, welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast.
2: Hi, Sultan. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm so happy that finally we get to have this conversation. Uh, Florin, for those people who haven't heard about you, don't know you, and they listen to this podcast, please introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Tell them what you do, where you're located.
2: Sure. So my name is Florin Fez. I'm the managing director and the co-founder of Slater, Slater.com, from Trend Slater, right? That's the, the origin of uh, the company name. Uh, I'm based here in uh, Zurich, Switzerland, and, uh, you know, been in this industry, language industry, for a couple of decades now. Uh, can tell a bit more about the company. So, company was founded in 2015 together with my co-founder Andrew Smart, who happens to be based in a much nicer part of the world in uh, in Bangkok, Thailand. So, a lot warmer than here. Uh, and before we start, before I started Slater and, and together with Andrew, uh, we um, I was in the language industry for for 10 years uh, with an LSP called CLS Communication, which we uh, sold eventually to uh, limebridge who most people still know uh, and most of that those 10 years actually spent in Asia not not here in zurich spent in you know Singapore Hong Kong mainland China and Shanghai um, but that's ancient history so slater is uh, really a, a provider of content events research and advisory services to the language industry uh, for example next week we're hosting our SlaterCon remote conference uh, online conference we publish like 10 15. Uh, Pieces of content every week. Uh, On the research side, we provide, uh, uh, you know, we publish a a lot of research reports, big reports, 50, 100 pages. So a couple of weeks ago, we published a game localization report, and I also host uh, a podcast. Uh, So uh, it's interesting to be on the other side here. Uh, And uh, yeah, we also do advisory services. I can touch upon that maybe later a bit more. But uh, that's the the long and the short of it.
1: Very, very exciting. Yeah, I've I've been following Slater for a while and and there's a lot of very rich and valuable information coming from that uh, specific source for the industry. So it's guiding us in in terms of where to go. Uh, Florian, how did you enter localization and translation industry? Uh, What was the motivation? Why did you join or come to this industry?
2: it was a coincidence. So my, I guess, origin story here is there was a brochure on a table and I didn't know where to take my career. And the brochure was for a translation program at the Zurich University of Applied Sciences. And I'm like, Hey, that sounds interesting. Cause I, I was traveling at the time, this like, you know, mid twenties, early twenties, I'd been traveling for, for a bit and that kind of piqued my interest in languages. And so picked up the brochure, uh, you know, at that point, probably went online and, uh, and signed up and got in and, And yeah, I mean, originally I'm actually an electrician by training. Uh, In Switzerland, it's quite a different um, kind of uh, educational system. So you do like uh, apprenticeships and things like that. So I started out as an electrician and transferred into that translation career and then really um, uh, was actually a translator for a couple of years uh, before I then took on much more responsibility of the business side as we were building out the business in Asia. Uh, so, took over you know operations roles, sales roles, and general management roles. And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in the localization translation industry. Haven't regretted it.
1: So I'm sure it's been several years since then. Uh, If you look back, can you describe in this industry what were some of the major uh, events in your experience and what typically comes to mind when you think of so many things, events and evolutions and changes that have taken place over these years?
2: Um, Great question. So it obviously changed from a much more kind of basic bpo service oriented industry into now i mean we're basically one of the most trailblazing industries when it comes to adoption of ai right i mean right. And think about what's going on right now everybody's freaking out about oh my god this thing can write code this thing can do this or that i mean in the language industry we've been doing this for seven eight years now with neural machine tra- neural machine translation right for That's a long great. time so that was a real shift because when I was a, a translator, it was basically, you know, you open Trados or Tag Editor in my uh, case, I use Tag Editor, maybe some of the older people still remember that uh, all the time. And it was it was kind of just translation, memory-based translation, right? And right. a bit of Google search. Uh, so the real, I think, transition happened in like 2016, 17, 18, when we really transitioned into this AI-based uh, workflows. Uh, maybe now with all this ChatGPT and GPT models, maybe we're transitioning into yet another um, um, kind of new new era. But I think that was the major change. I think other than that, I mean, many other... Uh, changes would have been of much lesser importance for the business as a whole, right? I mean, certain verticals grew a lot, like media grew a lot, gaming grew a lot, maybe others stagnated a little bit, right? But like, if you compare it to the disruption that, I mean, the positive disruption at the end of the day, if you look at the volumes and and the business growth that was brought in by uh, machine translation and kind of expert in the loop model, uh, everything else kind of pales uh, in regard.
1: Well, that's interesting. And and I think that there's uh, something I can agree with you on that. Uh, but I would also like you to today cover the industry as a whole, to, uh, give us a picture of what's happening today, given, you know, that Slater constantly monitors trends and uh, what's happening in, in the language services sector. So I would like you to talk today about where our industry is and where it is headed for the rest of the year. Um, I would like you to give me a high level view of translation localization industry, you know, from where you're studying.
2: So I think in 2023, we're seeing a bit of a slowdown, right? It was really busy. I mean, let me start maybe in 2020, um, like, you know, COVID, everybody thought, you know, things were going to break things ended up not breaking, and actually we kind of got a really kind of a V-shaped recovery in the language services industry, then 2021 happened, everybody got extremely busy, a lot of funding, a lot of uh, uh, merchant acquisitions happening, clients ordering uh, a lot more, so it was very, very busy in 2021, started kind of slowing down in in 2022, and now I think uh, we're going with a bit more caution into 2023. Also, uh, when you talk to industry participants, you hear a lot of uh, pr- concerns around pricing pressure on, the unit, on the unit rates. And I don't think it's the typical pricing discussion that we've kind of always had in the industry, right? I mean, even 20 years ago, people would say, well, you know, drop your rates by 10%, yada, yada. I think now we're really seeing a much more broad-based pressure on prices, which is a little tougher for those that, that can't adjust. Uh, and of course, the kind of general macroeconomic backdrop is less favorable than, than uh, one or two years ago, right? With the tech layoffs and, and some other areas uh, not doing so well. So I think 2023 is going to be more challenging for the language industry than the past couple of years were. There's pockets of uh, resistance and growth, like you know, gaming, media, uh, for example, data for AI services. Uh, you know, somebody needs to train and feed these all these models that we're using to automate certain parts and the uh, interpreting has been very very strong like in healthcare immigration uh, you know legal uh, justice system that that's going really well um, and of course you know you cannot not mention the whole chat gpt gpt chapter here right i mean on the day we're recording this uh, gpt 3 is coming out or has come out and
1: GPT4. now it can do
2: gpt 4 yeah sorry gpt 4 uh, came out just today the day we're recording yeah. this And this is going to impact the industry. Uh, Do we know how? I don't know, but uh, certainly, um, you know, it will have some kind of impact. So it's it's going to be one of the more interesting years in in 2023 for, for the industry.
1: So you just talked about it in general broadly, but uh, I want you to uh, talk a little bit in more detail. Uh, I know you're very busy at Slater's, uh, crunching numbers and identifying trends and so on. What do you see on your dashboard today uh, when you're looking at the top 10 trends uh, affecting the localization sector?
2: Top 10, all right. Let's start with maybe top one or two or three. Whatever. uh, um, Look, I think we're undergoing um, a massive continuous shift to these, uh, what I call expert or what some call expert in the loop model. We're trying to uh, replace that term human in the loop uh, with expert in the loop, because if you're a human, that's not enough anymore, especially on the translation side, you need to be an expert in the domain and a particular language combination. So I think it's, it's more apt to speak about an expert in the loop model. So I think we're seeing a, um even more adoption of that in areas that were s- so far untouched, like life sciences, medical devices, you know, even gaming in certain media areas, uh, uh, the kind of expert in the loop model is, is getting deployed. So to me, that is a big theme that even uh, that this year we'll see a lot more areas that are getting um converted to that that model, while the other areas, uh, you know, have mostly fully embraced that, you know, like in areas like legal or finance or, or some other tech areas where there's high volume. So to me, that's definitely uh, the number one trend. The number two, I would see these large language models. Uh, they can do so much. They can create content from scratch, uh, perfect content in a sense, right? You can go to ChatGPT and ask, well, write me a I don't know, a children's story or a financial report or anything, right? So I think we're gonna see a massive explosion of, well, I don't think so, it's happening. We're seeing a massive explosion of AI-generated content. So the question is gonna be, will this also be made multilingual with AI? Or is there gonna be even a tiny fraction of that AI-generated content that will need a human or an expert in the loop? uh, And that's where the industry could, uh, could benefit from. And then maybe a third trend would be the general slowdown in in financing um, for for certain ventures, right? I mean, private equity owns like a good chunk of the large LSPs, and uh, maybe we'll touch upon that later. But uh, I think financing is a little harder to get by these days than it used to be. Higher interest rates and generally a tighter funding environment. So you know, we'll see what kind of impact that has on on the bigger players in in the industry. So. So yeah, expert in the loot, uh, GPT models, large language models, and generally tighter um, um, uh, funding environments for, for some of these bigger LSPs. That's, for example, some of the three that we're seeing from our standpoint.
1: So, the third one, which had to do with the economy, it's a good segue, basically, for my next question. The current economic climate has created both winners and losers, even at vertical or sector level, looking at different industries that buy localization from us. So, for um, customers of localization, the different industries that uh, that basically depend on localization, where do you see the trends for uptick and activity versus depression?
2: Uh, let's maybe start with the kind of the bad news, uh, maybe I wouldn't call it depression, but uh, just generally a bit of a, a slowdown is definitely happening in, in tech, right? I mean, the big tech companies have historically been some of the biggest buyers of translation localization, you know, literally the Facebook's, Google's, Microsoft, Apple, uh, you know, as opposed to maybe 12 months ago when they were couldn't couldn't hire fast enough, now they're retrenching. Um, and also, they're scaling back some of the some of the programs, trying to automate more. So I wouldn't expect anybody exposed to the technology sector per se to do really well this year. I think manufacturing, especially in Europe, um, has also been under pressure over the past you know 12, 18 months. And so I think manufacturing, engineering, is uh, is a tough place to be. Uh, maybe financial, um, you know, financial like fa- banks. At the end of the day um and and maybe insurance companies but potentially uh, more more likely banks is going to be a challenge this year Uh, and also i think financial content um is lends itself somewhat more to expert in the loop translation or full automation uh because it's it's very kind of um repetitive and it's um there's a lot of uh, uh reference data around so you know for me as a former financial translator i could see some of these reports that I used to translate being nearly fully automated now, so I think there's there's potential uh, for more automation there. So those are three sectors that I wouldn't be super excited about heading into 2023. Now on the on the plus side, uh, you see uh, media and gaming still doing very well. In media, let me give you an example, uh, which is actually a great example for general dynamics in the language industry where you see something that's happening that will generate demand where there was literally no demand at all before so youtube uh just a couple of weeks ago really launched the multi-language option for their audio uh so for for videos like with mr beast i mean they had mr beast in um in a in a kind of beta state of that mr beast being one of the biggest youtubers in the world or the biggest youtuber in the world right hundreds probably a hundred million subscribers. So now on his videos, you can actually select uh, the language. So you don't have to create a new video and and um, dub and translate and dub this. You can actually inside the YouTube video have multiple languages. Like on Netflix or on Disney plus, like we just go in and select your language. And now they're rolling this out among many of their top creators. So think about the demand that this is going to generate for uh, translation and then of course, uh, voiceover and dubbing, huge, right? You roll this out to 10,000 new creators, you're you know, generating huge new demand. And that's generally something that happens often in the language industry that you see new uh, areas pop up that just a market that didn't exist even like a year ago. Um, you know, see it with some tech companies in the past, and now you see it with something like Mr. Beast on YouTube. Um, so I'm very excited about that. In media, gaming, and then life sciences or medical devices. I mean, these are highly, highly regulated areas where, you know, you can only do so much automation for regulatory and legal reasons. So, you know, those areas are still going strong, have been going for decades. So I'm, I, I don't doubt that uh, they're also going to go up uh, this year. So, yeah. Media, gaming, life sciences, medical devices uh, is something that uh, would be very resilient this year.
1: You just uh, mentioned tech layoffs. Let's talk about that. Um, In the U.S. and across the globe, that happened in the past few months. We've been seeing a lot of layoffs. It seems like all major platforms and brands decided to let go of, um, you know, talent very highly educated and a skilled talent in a very short span of time what does that mean for the for our industry for localization and do these companies have to outsource the localization work that was previously done in-house um
2: tough question uh but probably I would see that if they if they are in a position that they need to do layoffs, they probably would also scale back some of the localization that that they're doing generally because they're retrenching kind of across the business. So I doubt that there is a direct correlation of like okay, we're letting these people we're laying uh, some people off and now we uh, need to outsource more on on localization. I think they're probably also scaling back on localization spend. Um, so yeah, I doubt that a lot more will be will be outsourced.
1: Does that mean that they will be reducing the the quality of service or the type of service that they deliver today to their clients? Do
2: you mean the tech companies to their clients or
1: e- yes, absolutely. Tech companies to their clients, but which was dependent on localization before.
2: No, I think there they might just be uh, less aggressive in their growth plans, right? I mean, they might not launch this product or that feature, or you know, run this additional initiative. So I think it's just kind of a general um, maybe focus on uh, what makes them profitable in the first place. So yeah, I, I doubt that. Um, yeah, I doubt that you see a poorer localization experience from from a client side there. So I think it's just a general kind of kind of slow down. But we also have to see this against the backdrop of the crazy, crazy kind of late 2020 and and 2021, right, where these companies staffed up massively. So I guess over a five-year period, I think you're still, you could still see a lot of good growth, but they they did have to retrench uh, because it was just so massive how they grew in, in the past couple of years that makes sense because
1: they are becoming more stabilized and uh, but, but there's still that talent pool that's out there that doesn't work for these tech firms can our industry absorb some of that talent uh, that become available due to the layoffs
2: i think so i really think so it's the the industry is large enough and you know there's no i wouldn't call in the localization part, it wouldn't be a mass layoff. I mean, there's not like thousands and thousands of top localization talent that's being let go that the industry couldn't absorb. So these people that are being let go, I think they have a very good chance to get uh, hired by, you know, another maybe a, a, a startup or a tech startup that it's, that's in another area of like that is untouched by these layoffs. Or then on the vendor side, I mean, if you have these skills, you know how a large tech company or like a fast growing startup uh, runs localization, you have these skills, you know how to, you know, build up these uh, fairly automated workflows, you know, how to manage vendors. You know, I think chances are good you're going to find a job on on the vendor side as well, because those are very kind of in demand, uh, this very highly in demand expertise and skills. So I I wouldn't worry too much for, for these people.
1: Um, still, you know, talking about economy, let me ask you about your observations related to mergers and acquisitions in this industry. Slater keeps a very close eye on this. With VC investment slowing down, are there still opportunities for M&A here?
2: Definitely, yeah. We're very closely uh, involved in this. In fact, we also do advisory work. So, for example, I can talk about this because we, we were able to announce it. So, we helped... um uh, Unbobble acquire EVS in early 2023. We helped sell a, a natural language processing company called RepuState, also in early 2023. And we're helping some other companies now on the buy and the sell side. So if you're looking at the kind of macro environment, it's definitely slowed down. Right from the uh, from the really crazy days in in 2021, because you know interest rates are going up. We all know this now. We had this kind of bank failure in in the U.S. just recently that was closely related to that. So interest rates are going up. Uh, you know, generally funding gets gets tighter, um, and so you're seeing that there's um, less appetite for risk investments. Of course, coming from the venture capital uh, side, but also. Uh, less capital available for the private equity uh, industry, so venture capital, you know, would be further out on the risk side, like for earlier st- uh, stage startups. Private equity is more for a profitable established companies, of which there's many in the language services industry. That's why there are so many private equity-owned LSPs. So, but um, there's there's different forces at play here. So while you have this caution now in funding on the venture, let's talk about the, the VC uh, component now, the, the riskier investments, right? While there's a general uh, um, kind of hesitancy of VCs to go into riskier, uh, to, to go generally into in, into these types of investments, you also have these this boom in AI, of which language is at the core, right? So, how do you balance that? Now, if you're a kind of a normal software, like a business-to-business software-as-a-service company unrelated to AI, yeah, you're probably going to have a harder time finding funding. But if you're in the middle of this AI boom, you have some, you know, multilingual writing uh, like software, or you have some other kind of large language model, uh, base layer company, you're you're at the middle of this boom, so uh, VCS are still going to key are still going to be key to invest. So we have to balance these two forces. So I think in the in the language space, it's still going quite strong. Um, again, on the private equity side now going out to these uh, companies uh, or these private equity funds that invest in more stable, profitable companies, um, there's definitely more caution. Uh, now, uh, because cheap access to cheap capital has gotten harder. So I wouldn't assume that there's going to be a, a number of massive acquisitions uh, like for, of like big LSPs by private equity firms in the next uh, you know, maybe 12 to 18 months. Uh,
1: you just mentioned the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and a couple other banks in the US and their stocks of um, interest rate uh, drop happening in the US as early mm-hmm. as the summer. Uh, that's obviously unforeseen, unprecedented, and not even guaranteed if that would happen. But if it did happen, what would it mean for the localization sector?
2: That's a great question. So, if let's say, okay, they were on this rising path of interest rates and now, okay, they're going to scale back. Well, I mean, you're going to see more inflation. I mean, I'm not a macroeconomist, but I guess if you scale it back, you're going to you know, heat up inflation again, which, you know, for some, if you're invested in the stock market, maybe. Not too bad Um, in terms of um, valuations rising again. How how would it impact the uh, localization industry? I think it's a bit too macro to say that there's going to be a particular impact on the localization industry other than just, yeah, more inflation, probably economic growth uh, going up again. Language industry historically is very... Correlated to uh, GDP growth, kind of to just general macroeconomic growth, right? Uh, and so, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be the worst thing if you don't mind inflation, I guess. But that's uh, again, I'm not an expert on th- on that particular topic. So.
1: Florian, uh, consolidation has been happening in in our industry for a while, and it's inevitable and probably a, a good thing. Where do you see an opportunity in our industry where consolidation can deliver better value to clients today?
2: Yeah, you got to make sure if you have all these mergers and acquisitions, you got to make sure that one plus one is three and not one and a half, right? And so what you want to avoid as the buyer is that you, you know, you initially you change too much, like you take the client's favorite project manager away, you change the, the salesperson that had been on the account for you know a decade or so. So you want to make sure that you, especially on the people side, leave some of these pieces in place initially and make the client understand, hey, there, there's still this, the same people here that, that, that are able to service you. I think what uh, what companies need to take care of when they do kind of post-merger integration is um, very kind of cautiously, but deliberately transition, transition to the better tech stack, right? When you merge to, uh, to LSPs, there's always, I mean, you have obviously two TMSs maybe, two, two CAT tools, two uh, MT, uh, stacks as well. So you want to make sure you transition to the better one without impacting the client too much, right? And then when you achieve that, obviously the, the client should uh, uh, benefit from, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, better, better translations, better services, uh, etc. Um Yeah, that's, yeah, again, on the, on the PM side, on the uh, account management side, sales side, and then ho- hopefully you can... Uh, cover a broader spectrum of the client's needs. So maybe if you were in an account and you were just doing marketing, uh, but now you know the company that acquires uh, you also helps with legal and maybe does media or subtitling, maybe you can cover a much broader spectrum of a particular account's needs. So that would be... Uh, the benefit there.
0: This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit HybridLinks.com to learn more.
1: Switching topics, uh, let me ask you about the impact of super automation in the form of large language models. We were talking about GPT-4 earlier and other developments in the NLP subfield of AI or machine learning. Uh, What are your observations and general predictions? I know that you keep a very close eye on this. Obviously, the whole industry is looking at it. What are your thoughts? Where is it going?
2: It's so interesting, right? I mean, uh, this morning I was playing around with GPT-4. So again, that you can buy the $20 premium subscription of OpenAI for ChatGPT and then you get access to GPT-4. And I was just doing like a, you know, 15-minute machine translation kind of test it's great but it's not groundbreakingly great for mt like it's it's right. kind of you know i don't know usual google translate deep microsoft translate kind of typical neural mt standard so it it's it's very good but it's not like oh my god this is the best thing ever and it's going to disrupt everything again i mean it still makes kind of some not errors, yeah, some errors and some kind of inconsistencies. And I'm I'm testing this with uh, English into German, my native language, right? And so that's probably the highest uh, resource language out there. Uh, so, you know, I, I would assume that in other language combinations, it will perform a lot worse. So in terms of just the uh, MT capability of uh, of these models, so far they're still uh, lagging a little bit behind the more narrower models that we're using in production in the language industry and have used for years now, so I don't expect a major breakthrough there. But of course, uh, these are generative AI models, so you can create content based on a prompt, which was something that wasn't around uh, you know a year or two ago. So the question now is, What's gonna happen with all of this new content, right is there even if a fraction I mentioned it before, if even a fraction of this content requires human involvement, then who else other than the language industry would be in a in a good position to uh, edit this, service this, you know make sure it works for that particular use case? so there's a huge opportunity right now to capture that. Uh, If indeed a fraction of this artificially created content ends up requiring some human involvement, right? Um, On the flip side, you could say, well, maybe on the translation side, instead of translating, you can just generate it from scratch in multiple languages. So maybe that could be a negative, right? Unless that content that gets automatically generated in multiple languages still requires a human Uh, to look at it, or an expert to look at it, which would be a positive. So there's various forces at play here, but I just think that the language industry is in a great uh, position to find out where the service element here is required and and capitalize on it.
1: Florian, do you see unicorns in this industry forming that leverage these latest developments and technologies uh, as solutions for language services?
2: Yeah, we actually just uh, a couple of days ago, we published something called uh, the Language AI 50 Under 50. And now we're like, what what do you mean 50 under 50? So 50 companies that are under 50 month, right? Uh, So startups, recent startups uh, in language AI. Uh, we put out uh, that list, it's freely available. So you have a couple of unicorns on this list already, which would be uh, Cohere, for example. So Cohere is like a direct competitor of OpenAI. AI. Uh, they do the same thing, kind of foundational large language models. Uh, we actually had their founder on the, on the podcast. So maybe you can also uh, listen to that if you're interested. Or Jasper. Um, Jasper is a kind of an AI writing um, software uh, as a service. Which is quite heavily used among marketers, I was told, uh, or Copy AI. I'm not sure if Copy AI is already a unicorn. Unicorn being a company that's valued at a billion dollars or more. But yeah, you have Cohere, Jasper, some others. Uh, but then there's also super interesting companies that are a lot um, smaller or not, not yet unicorn. For example, Blackbird, Blackbird IO. Uh, go check it out. It's kind of a middleware Zapier-like. Um, um, connector for various TMSs, CAT tools, MT engines, super fascinating company. Just came out of like, uh, I guess, almost like stealth mode or companies like Dubverse uh, that do AI dubbing. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a lot happening. Uh, very, very interesting company out. And I think our list there would be a, a great starting point if you're looking for, uh, for some names.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. I think, um, yeah, th- that's an interesting list. I'll go and look at it. And I'm sure people listening should also... Uh, find that very interesting as an industry watcher Florian you measure the productivity and output of different language services such as translation interpreting transcription language QA and many others now AI being in the mix too. what new forms of language services do you see developing with the advent of these uh, technologies
2: Sultan that's the billion billion dollar question (laughs) if I knew I'd probably start a company around that I don't know Um, very, very difficult to see where this is going. I mean, you could argue like, I don't know, humanizer in like creative writing, right? So you you prompt the model, it writes something and then you kind of, you know, tweak it on the edges or, uh, you know, data curation is very, very important uh, data, uh, you know, sourcing, uh, curation, uh, verification, et cetera, on, on language data. Um, any areas where there's like still this kind of expert in the loop translators required, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. So anybody who's really good at taking multilingual or taking input and, uh, and working together with MT to fine tune that. Subject matter experts, you know, we may move towards a model where you don't necessarily have to be fluent in two languages. You just have to be very um, knowledgeable in a particular subject matter. To um, in a sense proofread or check output uh, that the machine generated, and then of course there's kind of this building and testing of uh, and continuous training of all these models, uh, these you know machine translation models and other models, generation models across all kinds of niche verticals and applications. Because you know you and I when we go to uh, something like ChatGPT, we would just go like write a children's story or you know take a Bloomberg article and copy paste and have it translated, but us as industry experts, we also know that there's so much more text out there for which, you know, these models haven't been uh, tested on or haven't been fed data with. So uh, there's all these niche cases where a lot of the language industry actually makes its money that uh, still need to get tested and, and, and continuously trained on.
1: Let's uh, look back at the the industry as a whole and and briefly um, discuss regional performance. Where do you see the majority of uh, economic activity happening with regards to uh, localization translation geographically? Um, Traditionally, it has been the US. Is it still the largest market? What other regions are profitable presenting opportunities for localization?
2: I think uh, according to our estimate, like the US makes up about 39%, then all of Europe about 36% of the total uh, language industry pie. So it's kind of equal, right? Think of it as roughly 40% each. Then you you have Asia. I don't see a massive divergence in terms of um, if there's faster growing regions or regions that are growing faster than others. Again, I think it's mostly correlated to just economic growth so I think right now I'd probably want to be a, uh, you know, an LSP in Dubai <laughs> or in Saudi Arabia. I mean, they're 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 having a bit of a boom time there. Uh, maybe not so much in, you know, kind of Central Europe, in Germany. Um, so, so yeah, but generally I think the opportunities are, you have a lot of opportunities in the U.S., a lot in Europe, a lot in Asia. Um, yeah. So I can't give you a specific geography that, that I'm seeing growing more strongly than others.
1: Let's uh, discuss the British market. It's unique and interesting because after Brexit, it has a new dynamic and culture with regards to how they handle uh, global relations, trade, and so forth. What type of an opportunity does it represent for the localization industry?
2: It's a fertile ground to acquire well-performing LSPs. I actually still haven't really understood why the UK has so many well-run, profitable language service providers. Because uh, you know, it's not like it's a multilingual country like uh, like Switzerland or maybe you know a couple other uh, like like Belgium. So it's in terms of uh, the domestic market, I think it's it's extremely competitive, right? And I think it's it's. It's not easy to go into the British market and, and start a company from scratch and, and kind of succeed very quickly because it's very competitive, right? So I think from a from a broader point of view, yes, if you want to acquire profitable uh, LSPs that, that perform well, the UK is certainly um, certainly a good good hunting ground. If you want to start um, uh, from scratch, it's a little harder. That said, though, I mean, uh, you know, London's arguably Europe's biggest slash most cosmopolitan international city. so there's a big kind of domestic market there for language services. Uh, so yeah I uh, um, it's it, it, it's 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 not an easy market, but does it have anything to do with Brexit? I don't know. I don't see the I don't see brexit as a major positive for for the UK. And if anything they uh, they lost a couple of the international organizations that moved, for example, one of them moved to Amsterdam. Uh, That might have been a a net negative, so, yeah, but life goes on outside of the European Union, uh, as we can attest here in Switzerland, having never been in the European Union, so.
1: uh. (laughs) Let's uh, look at the recent history, Florian. The past five years, uh, it has been interesting for everyone in the world uh, with pandemics, what the pandemic, the wars technological advancement, and we were just talking about GPT-4, and political changes, and so much more happening. What kind of patterns and trends have developed that can guide the localization industry?
2: So one thing that's really, um, that makes the language localization industry uh, very resilient is its ability to scale up and down quite quickly, right? As a, So because it's it's an industry that doesn't operate um uh, uh, on, like that doesn't own a lot of hard assets, right? I mean, if you're in the oil and gas business, you need you know you need to drill wells and build all kinds of physical infrastructure. Uh, it's a little tougher when um when there's a downturn. I mean, it's very hard for you to scale down or you know you have you're sitting on these unproductive investments. Now in the language industry, you can scale up or down very quickly as demand um, as demand rises or falls. You saw, for example, in in the media space, You know when streaming came around I mean there was a massive boom and there there were some discussions around shortage and capacity problems etc but generally the industry scaled up very very quickly and in other areas now um, you know LSPs can scale down fairly quickly as well so it it just speaks to the very uh, strong resiliency of the language industry to adopt to you know various business environments and various kind of technological trends so I think now we're we're at this uh, crossroads again, where over the next two to three years, the industry will have to find very innovative ways of producing service businesses or service, lines of service businesses that can can incorporate these latest breakthroughs in AI. And I mean, again, if I knew exactly what it was, I probably should start a company. But I'm I'm just fascinated as an observer to see uh, how people are going to make this work.
1: We're talking about trends, and but at the same time, we should also be looking at the landscape uh, when When you do that, what are some of the top threats in your opinion that localization sector is not well prepared to deal with? Uh, do you have any suggestions on how to confront them or deal with them?
2: So one of the threats would be those lsps that have not really moved to this expert in the loop post-editing, incorporating these latest advances in AI type of workflows, those that are kind of feeling good about their TMS-slash-cat-based workflows, I think that time, the time of like kind of muddling through is coming to an end now in 2023, Uh, really. I mean, people had a six, seven-year heads up, and I think now you're going to get under a lot of pressure. You probably won't be able to compete on pricing anymore, if you're just on the kind of traditional TMS CAT stack. I've, I've been surprised by the way, by how long uh, some some kind of slower to adapt LSPs have been able to push this off. But I think now uh, 2023 is definitely gonna be a, a major year there for that. So that's to me, if you could encapsulate it as a threat, I think the established workflow model is coming to an end. And you know that's gonna be great for some, but not great for others.
1: When we're looking at threats facing our industry as a whole, um, I mean, changing uh, demographics and dynamics, uh, you know, client uh, clients are changing. For, you mentioned GPT-4. Uh, majority of um, the platforms, uh, technology platforms, will probably rely on these technologies to source their content, uh, the localization, and so forth. Are we as an industry, Florian, ready to confront those type of threats? Or that's something not to worry about.
2: Uh, I think as an industry, I said it before as well, I think we're very, very adaptive. We are very resilient. We're very uh, resourceful to adapt to that. And we just have to, right? Because I mean, some of these traditional clients just disappear. I mean, you know, the, let's see, for example, look at finance. I mean, some of these fund reports that I used to agonize over and think about every term here and there probably are automated by now because, well, it's, you know, it's it's automatable. So, by necessity, the industry has to adapt and change. Um, so, I think we're, I feel quite optimistic, I guess over the next five years, for example, ten years, I wouldn't want to comment on. But I think over the next five years, I feel uh, very optimistic if companies really are uh, succeeding in the in that retooling, and also linguists are uh, very open to working with these 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 tools, right? I mean, there's always a contingent of of um, translators that uh, are reluctant to work with this. I understand. I mean, if you've done something for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you're reluctant to change. But I think uh, there's, a, there's an entire new cohort of kind of expert uh, linguists that are coming up now that for, to them, these, these types of tools are just natural. So generally, I feel very optimistic. Um, and I think if you're if you're prepared to continue to change your business, shouldn't be a big problem.
1: Speaking of looking into the future, uh, we talked about this in the beginning of this conversation, but how do you see 2023 as a year when it gets wrapped up? What would it mean for localization? Do you see it as a year uh, of prosperity? Do you see uh, challenges? What do you see when you look at in your crystal ball?
2: I don't think it's going to be the best year, uh, frankly. I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge, uh, I think. Um, there's, yeah, as we spoke about in tech, it's such a big client cohort that I think it's it's going to be a challenge to add a, a lot of revenue in kind of the core localization space. Uh, so if you're in core translation localization, I'd be uh, a bit cautious. That said, though, as I said before, um, many LSPs are experts in kind of going to these adjacent markets and making it work for them. right? So for The companies as a whole in industry, I think it's going to be an exciting year of tapping into new areas of growth that they can then, you know, work in for the next two or three or four or five years. So, but for the core kind of language translation, language localization, I think it's going to be a bit of a challenging year.
1: Well, I hope that it will be a positive year uh, regardless. um, And uh, in closing... What are your thoughts, Florian, um, and your suggestions for leadership in this industry, both on the supply and buyer side of things?
2: I would be very, if if let's say you're on the ownership side uh, and, and the CEO side at the LSP, I think you should be very much open to innovation. I, I don't want to make it sound too bland and kind of generic, but have somebody at the company, no matter how large you are, play around with all these new tools, like, I don't mean like you have to make a giant project or like, you know, something. I mean, even a, a small agency with 10 to 20 people, there's somebody at the, at these companies that can be, uh, that's usually very excited about trying out new things. So have somebody at the company or maybe a group, if you're a larger company, play around with all of these new things that are coming out, signing up to all of these new services and really think about how you can integrate that into your own service organization and, and helping your clients uh, be more productive, right? So... On the client side i'd be totally asking this from my vendors right i would be like well okay i'm the localization manager of company x like you know i see all this cool stuff out there like can this be integrated into my workflow can i now translate three times more or can i now get all my videos subtitled very quickly for example or can i get like some you know, dubbing done on my e-learning videos. So I'd be leaning very heavily on my vendors to be much more creative in, in helping me capitalize on these latest advancements. Florian,
1: uh, what a fun and insightful conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And as always, I love to learn about our industry trends and what is shaping our decisions and uh, what affects our businesses. So with that, let me thank you for your time and for everything that you've shared with us today.
2: Thank you so much, so Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, it's time for my roundup of the interview and my analysis as to what has been discussed. The language industry is a growing and evolving services sector and oftentimes ignored. Given the size of this industry, we are an enabler of today's massive international business and the internet wouldn't function as it does today without the support of the translation and localization services. Despite the challenges we are facing, the outlook for the localization sector is good and bright. In fact, this industry helps other industries manage and mitigate risk at times of economic difficulties by enabling them to grow business across borders. We must acknowledge and appreciate the value that we create for international relationships and business beyond simple translation of words. I believe the next few years will be very exciting, and we are lucky that we are living at a time where this industry has undergone so much transformation in the span of a few years. That brings us to the end of this exciting episode. I had a really good and fun conversation with Florian, and I'm sure you enjoyed it as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice, and give a 5 star rating for this episode. Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.